The first reading is taken from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. This may be found on the page 1204 and on the screen behind me. Hebrews chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters relating to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from John's Gospel. John chapter 17 verses 1 to 26, and can be found on page 1085 of the Church Bibles and on the screens behind me. John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence 
with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. 
This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it'd be a great encouragement to me if you would indeed have that passage open uh, before you this morning at page 1085. I'll be referring to it throughout. Let me just give some power to this thing. I should be on. Am I on? Great. Let's pray. The Bible says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Almighty God, thank you that you are a speaking and revealing God. We pray and ask that you would give us eyes and ears to see and hear you this morning. We pray that we might be eager and ready to live our lives for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, a lot of people think that the Christian faith is a bit like a cash book. So as long as the good things that you do in life outweigh the bad things that you do, when the books are balanced and you've done enough good that outweighs the bad, then you'll be all right. A lot of people think the Christian faith is like that. But that is not Christianity. That is world religion. And the Christian faith, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship restored between the Creator God and His creatures, His people like us. And as we parachute into John's Gospel and get our bearings, we need to remember a couple of things this morning. We need a couple of pointers on our compass if we're going to navigate through this section correctly. First of all, we need a reminder of who God is. And then secondly, a reminder of who we are. By way of introduction, what is Jesus doing in John 17? Well, verse 1, he looked towards heaven and prayed. One 17th century preacher comments on this prayer and says, it's the greatest prayer that was ever offered on earth. And it follows the greatest sermon that was ever preached on earth. So if you get bored of what I'm saying, feel free to duck back a few pages and start reading the greatest sermon that has ever been preached on earth. Verse 1, God the Son is in Jerusalem looking towards heaven and talking to his Father. Christians call that prayer, talking to God. And the Son refers to the only true God in verse 3 as Father. Do you see that? That's there in verse 1, verse 5, verse 11, verse 24, and verse 25. And that's an incredible insight for us as we get our bearings in John 17. The implication here is this. The Father and the Son are in relationship with each other. And the Bible discloses more information about their relationship, which removes any guesswork uh, and speculation on our part as to who God is. Therefore, briefly, I want to consider this relationship of father and son. And precisely on that foundation, the foundation that God has revealed himself to us and spoken in such a way that his creatures can understand him, is where we begin. We start on that foundation, that God has spoken and we can understand him. So who is God? Broad question, I know. But there are certain parameters, certain fences that we need to put in place when we consider who God is. Else we'll fall into all kinds of dangers and heresies, and we don't want to do that. The first parameter is this, that there is only 
one true God. The Bible is really clear on this. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the first parameter or fence we need in place. And yet there's a plurality of persons with who God is. We see that right from the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 26. God says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So this is the second parameter that needs to be in place. For the one God has revealed himself as a plurality of persons. Let's put this diagram up. I wonder if this helps. So there's one God. So the Father is God. And he's everything that the Son is, except he's not Son. The Son is fully God, and he's everything that the Father is, but he's Son, not Father. The Spirit is everything that the Father and Son are, except he's Spirit, he's not Father or Son. So the oneness and the threeness of God, we need to hold them together. And there's the... uh, they, they all share in the oneness, the divine nature, and reveal to us who God is. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, this is the first point on that compass to get our bearings as we look at John's Gospel. For then, who are we? Well, we've got to say, we are not God, and we are not equal to God. We are creatures created by God, fashioned in His image and His likeness. And that's profoundly important as we look at John's Gospel. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected God's rule uh, in the garden and established or tried to establish themselves to be their own gods. And as a result, relationship with the one true God was fractured and broken and distorted. And their con- the consequence of their actions uh, was catastrophic. And we can feel that as we live in a broken, fallen world today. Instead of uh, being God's people in God's place, experiencing his blessing, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, not in relationship with God, and not under his rule or blessing. And so we ask the question of the Bible narrative right from the beginning, what's God going to do about this? How will God re-establish himself a people? And if he is to do it, how will he bring sinful people back into the relationship with the holy God? And the answer to that, of course, is the classic Sunday school answer, through Jesus. Uh, And hopefully we'll unpack that as we go through. Now, I wanted to start with that wide-angle lens of the Christian worldview, because hopefully as we zoom in on John 17, it'll help to make that clearer for us. Now, I wonder if anyone else has noticed this. Deodorant cans have got smaller, haven't they? Uh, this, this is a new precision spray. Uh, this is a, 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 and it kind of, you can feel it when you, when you squirt it under your armpit. It comes out really fast. Um, and kind of John's gospel is a little bit like this can of deodorant. It's a little bit like it in that John 17 is a kind of compact, squashed, precise kind of chapter which explains the whole of John's gospel. And we've got an epic, well, hopefully this is a good overview. Let's go to our next slide. Uh, this, this really is just going to give us a, a, a kind of wide lens of what's going on uh, through this prayer. It's an epic prayer by Jesus. And he prays that his father would accomplish his plan, firstly, through the completion of uh, Jesus' ministry. That's verses 1 to 5. 
Secondly, through the completion of the apostles' ministry, verses 6 to 19, and through the impact of all believers, including us, uh, verses 20 to 26. Well, that's where we're going. We'll see how far we get. So, verse 1. Jesus says, uh, the, the time has come, Father, the time has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The phrase, the time has come, really is signifying uh, the climax of the gospel narrative. That is, Jesus' death is imminent. In the very next chapter, Jesus is betrayed and arrested, um, and he's tried. And then in chapter 19, he's condemned and executed by crucifixion. And John 17 gives us a window beforehand as to what's really going on. Jesus prays that the Father would glorify the Son in what the Son is about to do by going to the cross. And that through the work of the Son, the Father would be glorified. Now, the verb glorify means more than to give praise or to give honor to. Um, Here, the verb kind of means to clothe in splendor. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Uh, Jesus says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is saying, Father, restore me to my splendor and majesty, which I shared with you prior to coming into the world, prior to the creation of the world uh, itself. Question, how will this happen? Answer, through the cross. For the hideousness of the cross, the brutality that was on display through it, the thing that looks like a complete failure to the world actually is the ultimate victory. Through the cross, the Father and the Son's glory is on display for all people to see. And through the cross, the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve in Eden are reversed. Sin and death is dealt with and God's anger from sin is removed. Sunday the 18th of June, 1815, is an important date in British history, is it not? There's some nods out there. Yeah. What happened? What happened on that date? Battle of Waterloo. Absolutely. Battle of Waterloo. Apparently, right, some, some sources uh, say this. There was a message that was transmitted, uh, apparently, of news of the battle. But when this message was being transmitted, there was really heavy fog. And only two words could be uh, read. They were, Wellington defeated. That was the only thing that was visible. You can imagine hearts in England sank as news spread about what happened. But when the fog had cleared and the message was retransmitted, the full message could be seen. Wellington defeated Napoleon. What looked like failure, the worst news possible, actually was the ultimate victory. For at at, at the cross... We see Jesus' body battered and bloody and beaten and him dying, then buried in a tomb. And it looks like failure, doesn't it? It looks like failure. And yet, it's God's victory over sin and death and hell and Satan. It's incredible. And it's the victory that brings the Father and the Son and the Spirit untold glory. So you know the story Jesus is brought through death, the first Easter Sunday, Uh, He proves there's life beyond the grave. 
and for 40 days shows himself, appears to his disciples and to countless others, and then ascends back into heaven and is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, given the name above every other name. What a plan. What a rescue. What wisdom. We could say this is incredible. If Hannibal were here from the 18, he would take out his cigar, strike his match, and light the cigar and say, I love it when a plan comes together. For look at what the work of the cross has achieved. And it could not be better. Look at verse 2. Eternal life. There is life after you die. Jesus prays, For you granted him, the Son, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The very actions which glorifies the Father and the Son brings life to lost sinners like you and me. Rebels who are shaking our puny fists at God, pretending God is not God in the world he's made, through the completed work of the Son, actually can be brought back into relationship uh, with God. That is incredible. Do we see uh, what the Father has granted the Son in verse 2? Two things. Firstly, authority over all people. Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Secondly, the Son is the source of eternal life. Verse 2b, Jesus gives eternal life to all those to whom the Father is giving to the Son. Do we see that? Verse 4, Jesus says, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus has unique authority. We've got to keep saying that. Jesus has unique authority over all people. And he has completed the job that he was sent to do. Now, we live in difficult times. And we live in difficult times uh, in the church uh, as well because we're seeing mass denial in the church of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep talking about how unique Jesus is, both inside and out the church. There is mass unbelief. And at the same time, pockets up and down the country and across the world um, are seeing the Son giving eternal life to those to whom the Father is giving to the Son. It's an incredible plan. God is amazing. He's working out his plans and purposes. Would you flick back with me a few pages in John's Gospel to John chapter 10? Hopefully this will be a real encouragement to you this morning. John 10, verse 27, page 1077. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I wonder, can you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning? Are you listening to him? Are you following him? If so, he says, you are safe and you are secure. If you're in Jesus' hand, the Good Shepherd has you. Your sin and your death are nothing at all 
to be afraid of. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. Amen? That's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Not only that, and if that's not enough for you, the Father, who is greater than all, who has given you, if you're a Christian, as a gift to the Son, says this. Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. No one. Jesus has you. The Father has you. You are completely secure. Back in John 17, verse 3. What is this eternal life that Jesus is speaking of? Eternal life, verse 3, is knowing God. It's really simple. It's knowing God that the Father sent the Son. And this is the gift that's on offer for each one of us this morning. It is to know God. It is eternal life. It's not a set set of kind of do this and don't do that. But it's the gift of a relationship with the one who created you and who created you in his image and likeness and who has executed this plan through his son perfectly to rescue you and to bring you to rest. And if that were not so, why would the son have gone through the horror of the cross? For the son has completed the job. He scorned the shame of the cross. He endured the humiliation and the horror so that you and I would never have to. And that's amazing. So can you see it's not about being a good person or having your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? Uh, It's not that at all. It's whether you know God and you're in relationship with him or you don't. It's whether you've been forgiven by him or whether you haven't. Whether you've been given eternal life or you haven't. Now in a room this size, there's bound to be people here asking this very question, when I meet God, will I be all right? And that's a great question to ask this morning. Now, you've heard that Wayne Palmer died last Friday, but um, the week before he died, uh, just before my ordination, I was at the Sisters of Bethany. This was the Wednesday we uh, we had a meal together, and Wayne was there. And I was talking to Wayne, and I said to Wayne, Wayne, can I be really personal? Can I ask you a question? He said, go for it. I said, Wayne, what's it like to know that you're about to die. And he kind of paused for a moment, and he said to me, Adam, I know who Jesus is. I know Jesus. I know that he has hold of my life, and I'm in real pain. But I'm not scared to die. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. Wayne knew the gospel. He knew God. He knew the good news about Jesus. He knew it wasn't about him being a good person or pulling up his moral socks and trying harder to be a better, more upright person. He knew that God had sent the Son who died for him, who paid for his sin and has brought him to eternal life. And I want to ask you that question today. Do you know God? Do you know what the cross has achieved for you? Are you scared in the face of death? If you are, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. Well, that was a rather lengthy first point. You'll be glad to know the seconds two are much, much shorter. Secondly, Jesus uh, prays that the Father would accomplish his plan through the ministry uh, of the apostles. Uh, I'm not going to prove that that Jesus is speaking about the apostles in 6 to 19. You can go away and do that work yourselves. But... 
uh, it's quite clear, I think, that this is speaking of the first century apostles uh, who were with Jesus. Uh, this is not talking about everybody in the world or all believers here uh, this morning. Uh, it was those who were with him then, God's chosen people. Verse 6, is, uh, verse six to 10, Jesus prays for his apostles, affirming them and authenticating uh, them as reliable to be witnesses for him. This is the real deal that we have in front of us. This is God's word. God has preserved a perfect word for us by using fallen, fallible creatures to keep his perfect word. So the apostles' testimony of who Jesus is is valid for us this morning. The second thing that Jesus prays for them, verse 11 to 19, is that the Father would protect uh, these apostles and that they would be set apart for the Father's use. Uh, any questions on that, please feel free to come and speak to me uh, afterwards. And thirdly, uh, that Jesus prays that his Father would accomplish his plan through the impact of all believers' ministry, verses 20 to 26. Now, this last section, I think, is profoundly moving. It's incredible, for in this, it brings us into direct relationship with Jesus. He's praying for us. If you're a Christian, Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years ago. And look at this prayer, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus prays for all those who will believe in him. Jesus is praying and has prayed for us. Uh, and he prays, verse 20 to 23, that believers would be united in Father and Son. Verses 24 to 26, that they would come to dwell with Jesus in the glory of the Father and the Son forever. And Jesus' main concern at this point is that his church, those who believe in him, would be united in Father and in the Son. And so gripped by, so united in, so obedient to his gospel that the world would be able to see. So this is the thing. When we meet together as a church family, are we showing the world the love that the Father has for the Son? Is that what we're doing as we meet together? Um, are, we, are we attractive? When the world looks in on us, and it is looking in on us, does it see a group of people who profoundly love each other and care for each other and are concerned for each other and know each other's name and enjoy hanging out with each other? Is that what is on display for the world to see? Is St. Jude's this love center that mirrors the love relationship between the Father and the Son? The Father gave the Son into the world. He gave his Son everything. He's got all authority over all people. He's given us his word and his spirit to help us to navigate through life. The Son gave up his life for us in obedience to the Father. What kind of self-giving mutual love should we have for each other as we lay down our lives for each other to build each other up and encourage each other in what the Father has done through the Son and the message that we have for the world. Now, that means uh, we can have a real profound unity. So it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're old or young, uh, whether you have a home or whether you're homeless, we're united because of Jesus. 
His love glues us together. We're here to care for and look after each other and to be that big witness out to the world. And I think the biggest barrier to the church's appeal to the world, um, it's not inadequate presentations of the gospel. It's not boring preachers on a Sunday morning or outdated methods, but it's gossip and insensitivity towards each other. It's jealousy creeping in and backbiting and having an unforgiving spirit towards the person sat next to you. Failure to appreciate uh, what's, what's going on. Really, to sum it up, it's lovelessness. We need to get our love back for each other, modelled at the cross in the Father giving the Son and the Son giving up his life. Well, we're in injury time. The last grains of sand are falling through the hourglass. Uh, take this encouragement with you. Look at verse 24. We're going to dig into this uh, whole kind of prayer again over the weeks to come, but look at verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. One day, we're all going to behold the glory of the risen Jesus. Let's pray that we be ready for that. Let's pray.